0: Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.
1: San Antonio district judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on revolverpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Sports isn't easy, but here goes. Mattress Firm is America's neighborhood mattress store, and it should be your goal to check out the deals they have going on every day. Their mattresses are softer than your rival team's defense. They get a 10 out of tennis. You'll love your new bed. All right, all terrible dad jokes aside, head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and stretch your budget further.
3: The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Hey guys, what's up, guys? John Anik, Kenny Florian. Oh my god! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian.
0: Right back at it. Good Monday to you,
2: January fifteenth, twenty eighteen. Episode one hundred and thirty nine of the Anik and Florian podcast. My dog annoyed by my voice right now. I'm sorry. I've been doing voiceovers for UFC two twenty all day. Get a little excited for the show open. I'm sorry. <laughs> Kenfo. Good to see you, my man. How Good are you? Good to see
4: you as well. I like the new art in the background, kid. You keep uh, upgrading the space. I
2: like So it. I'll get out of there. So it's the art of fighting. The guy who runs MMA history today sent me this UFC 217 poster. So I figured I'd mount it and frame it and. Uh there Sick. it is in all its glory. I love. Looks it. a whole lot better than uh, the chubby Jew on your screen right now. But <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you, Ken Flo. I know we were sort of not watching these fights in St. Louis together. Um, we weren't watching the Patriots together. You did watch the New England Patriots, of I assume? Co-
4: of course, dude. It was amazing. Love it. It's a
2: little bit anticlimactic though, right? Like you're yeah. down seven nothing, and I'm excited, right? Just because there's some tension here, mm-hmm. and then 35 unanswered. Um, And then Sunday, dude, the Jaguars and the Vikings, man, big weekend for the NFL. I was all locked in. And then, of course, a nice Sunday special out of the MMA leader on Sunday night. So big show today. We're going to recap that whole thing, at least the four-fight main card, time permitting. Full preview predictions for UFC 220. We are now six days out from this championship doubleheader, TD Garden. Boston, Massachusetts, Stipe Miachich, Francis Nganu, Daniel Cormier, Volkan, Uzdemir. So we're excited for that. Ken Flo's got picks on the entire main card coming up. Might do some stuff on weight cutting, weight management, time permitting as well. This reared its ugly head. Once again, the numbers of, of guys who have had issues since we've gone to the morning weigh-in compared to prior. Uh, at least in terms of the 18 months, I think Mike Bon, MMA Junkie, crunched some numbers, just startling. So, time permitting, we will get into that over the weekend. Um, VP of the UFC Performance Institute, our good buddy James Kimball, is going to join us as well. He's got a lot of insight on Francis Ngannou and Ray Long goes at the airport after cornering a guy last night. So we may uh, grab Ray as well. But a lot to get to as usual on a Monday morning, and we begin as always with headlines.
0: Headlines.
2: It's time for Headlines. I have
1: some very urgent and important breaking news. Headlines. On the John Ennick and
3: Kenny Florian podcast.
0: All right, so the UFC's first jaunt to St.
2: Louis, Missouri. It took some time. Nice to see Tyron Woodley-Kenny and his mom sitting Octagon's side. I mean, this was a long time coming. I know Force had been to St. Louis. The yeah. UFC has been to Kansas City as recently as April, but... Hard to believe it took us this long to get to St. Louis. I'll get to the crowd a little bit later. Not the most intelligible uh, mixed martial arts audience with all due respect. But let's start with the main event, obviously, at Featherweight. Jeremy Stevens, Ken Flo versus Duho Choi. Jeremy Stevens is a badass, man. You know, like when I watch this guy walk to the octagon, it's like I wish I could be that guy, right? Just so calm, cool, and collected and ready to go get in a fight right? Not ready to go play a game of basketball. And he just embraces this moment, 27th UFC fight, another one for the real here for Jeremy Stevens. And, and I think this is a fighter at 31 years old, nearly 30 fights into a UFC career that is actually evolving and getting better. Pretty special performance, I thought, out of him over the weekend.
4: Uh, Stevens is a beast, man. Uh, he, he really is. I, I thought that, um, you know, he got he came out a little bit hot Uh, out of the gates i think he was swinging a little bit too wild once he settled in though um he went back to that jab that straight jab that was setting everything up um i felt like he was kind of forcing the knockout a little bit he was eating a lot of leg kicks uh duho Choi uh obviously added a few more a few more weapons himself i thought Uh, did a good job of keeping jeremy stevens at bay um for as long as he could but stevens with that right hand man just kept landing it and it was two things obviously jeremy stevens was timing Choi very well but Choi was not moving his head you gotta move that head off the center line you gotta keep your hands up and if you're not adjusting to a right hand from jeremy stevens guess what it's only a matter of time before you uh, are going to be on the canvas sleeping um and and stevens just landed one too many right hands uh followed up um you know, I did not think that was an early stoppage given how many right hands he was landing throughout that fight. Choi was right. not adjusting that right hand. It was only going to get worse. He was only going to take more damage. Um, and, yeah, I agree. Jeremy Stevens, once he settled in, man, uh, just took it to Choi and, uh, and won a big fight. That, w- that was awesome.
2: So they said going in, he only had one knockout since 2013, and that much was certainly true. But he comes through as the betting underdog here, second-round knockout of Duho Choi, switching up the stances early. Again, he listens to what is a very educated corner. And uh, I'm excited to see where he can go, man. He's still only 31 years old. I think this sets him up for another big fight. I also thought the chin was a big weapon for him as well, Kenny. And when you see him eat Duho Choi's biggest shots, or some of his biggest shots, right, Like, there's no drunk driving out of Stevens, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's not even wobbling as he's eating these shots so far into a career that has required so many sparring rounds and so many high-level fights. He's fought everybody in this top 15. I couldn't even find a next opponent for him, Kenny, because he's fought the whole roster, right? And yeah. he's the furthest thing from chinny at 31 years old, right? I mean, there are a lot of guys who would have been knocked down from some of those power shots from Duho Choi.
4: He's as tough as they come. Um, he does still have a very good chin, and and I think a lot of it is, you know, for a fighter when you're seeing these punches come, you you, you have to you have to be ready for. It. You have to have your eyes ready on your opponent and where these punches are coming from. And Jeremy Stevens was doing a good job of reading the punches. It's always, you know, as they say, the shots that you don't see that hurt you. Uh, Jeremy Stevens was still very much engaged in the fight, even when he was over committing on his punches. Um, But uh, again, once he settled in, man, this was a Jeremy Stevens that's going to be very tough to beat. So um, also ate a lot of leg kicks, was not really um, showing the pain too much. I'm sure those were very painful, Uh, but uh, really did a great job, uh, as we knew he would, of of coming back from adversity, settling down, adjusting uh, to his opponent, who was very good himself uh, and getting a big win.
2: Thank God you're here to bring me back to earth a little bit, right, when I'm talking in superlatives after some of these fights. We did have Jeremy Stevens on last week, by the way, at the end of the awards show. And he said, Kenny, he's not really obsessed with with the title, even though you would think a guy like that would at least like to fight for the thing once before his career is over. But this win puts him in the mix. I think he came in number nine in the world. So real quick, Kenny, among the possible names for Stevens' next fight. So he called out number three. T-City, Brian Ortega, mm. I thought that was a good call-out. I think it was good to have somebody's name on the tip of his tongue, obviously. Josh Emmett is there at number four. I think that fight makes some Phew. sense. Yair Rodriguez, Ricardo Lamas, a couple of guys who, who are coming off a loss, but I think mm-hmm. maybe his opponent comes out of that mix, potentially. I don't know.
4: Yeah, I don't know if he deserves someone like Ortega. Um, right. I, I, I like the fair. But I like I the fact that he called him out, you know, um, to get, get the conversation flowing. Um, I, I think a fight against a, a Yair Rodriguez makes sense. Um, who else? Uh, you I mentioned? think Lamas no, and I mean, Llamas Yeah, is... Lamas. Even both of those guys that are coming off Rodriguez and Lamas coming off. But you know, maybe because they're both coming off a win, and Emmett was unranked prior to him beating Lamas, maybe that Emmett right. fight makes a lot of sense. And you know right. what? Both of those guys are, are very similar in how they approach the fight game. Uh, big yeah. time power. Uh, you know, they could both wrestle. I, I, I'd i be curious to see what happened there. But, you know, what, what's Emmett ranked now? Number four?
2: So, well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, Emmett misses weight for the Lamas fight. And obviously the penalty is not stiff enough because he takes his ranking at number four in the I world, know. you know? I know. And I don't want to take away from the performance, right? But it's like... You don't struggle through it. I'm a broken record on this show, right? But it's like you yeah. don't struggle through those final couple pounds. You knock out the number four guy in the world, and now Josh Emmett's going to fight like T-City or someone. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, oftentimes they like to match up winners with winners. So, right. Yair yeah, Rodriguez and Ricardo Lamas, two guys coming off a loss, but at least two guys in that top ten that Jeremy Stevens hasn't fought before. 145 pounds is ripe, and Jeremy Stevens is in that mix. And and for Duho Choi, you know, he took a year off after that Swanson War. The military service beckons. I don't think that's in the imminent future, but it's down the line and something that he's going to have to deal with. So this is a setback uh, for the Korean Superboy Duho Choi. All right, Kempflow, co-main event, it goes to Jessica Rose Clark by unanimous decision over Paige Van Zant, who broke her arm in the first round throwing a spinning back fist. Now, the story is going to be Paige Van Zant breaking her arm, and we're certainly going to talk about that, but what a week, Kenny, for Jessica Rose Clark. Her house in Las Vegas, as I understand it, got robbed on Thursday. They murdered her cat, you know, and she's trying to cut weight with all of that in her head, and, and she was very somber in her post-fight interview about it obviously with paul felder but uh jessica rose clark your winner in the co-main event here against pvc
4: yeah first of all what what kind of sick individual does that uh breaks into a house and kills a cat that that's absolutely ridiculous um and uh you know jessica rose clark you know coming back from that just kind of being shook from uh, an experience like that it is impressive just to go out there and fight but then um to go out and do the job against a tough Paige Van Zant, uh, I thought uh, I was uh, was pretty impressed with the performance. Uh, I picked her on UFC tonight last week because I just feel like she's cleaner with her technique. She uh, is more skilled than Paige. Um, Paige just w- wasn't really able to get anything going. Um, I-, I don't know. Uh, th- this is a this is a tough setback for. Her. Obviously, you know, dealing with a broken arm. Paige showed that toughness that we all knew she would. Um, She's as tough as they come, but, um, you know, I I don't know if it's tactics or um, maybe kind of sticking to a game plan or whatever it was. I didn't see that from her. I didn't see that she actually had a, a game plan. I, I, and I think I've seen that with a, a bunch of fighters as of late is they have all these skills or they have these set of skills, but they don't go out there with, with a, a game plan, with, with knowledge of what they're trying to do out there. And, and when you do that and, and things don't work out or you're not landing certain techniques, you get lost in a fight. And I felt like Paige was, was definitely lost out there. It was Jessica Rose Clark who clearly had a plan uh, knew what she was going to do, stuck to it, and um, just got the better of her repeatedly, round after round. I thought she won all three.
2: Yeah, and, and again, Van Zant was rendered a a one-armed fighter for the final ten minutes or so, right? Yeah. And and uh, it is what it is. But ultimately, you know, Jessica Rose Clark is a big flyweight, obviously coming down, yes. and uh, you know those things happen in a fight. Jessica Rose Clark moves forward, and we'll see if Paige Van Zant stays here at 125 or decides to go back down to 115 pounds. But you're right. Uh, this is not good news for Paige Van Zandt here in what I believe was her, her seventh UFC appearance. Maybe three wins against four losses now, mm-hmm. if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Kamaru Usman, Kenny. And I want you to let me have it here because, man, did the masses not like my tweet after this fight. So Kamaru Usman moves to 7-0, and and I'm going to read you the tweet. Mm. He moves to 7-0 and in the UFC in dominant fashion. And I was watching... I didn't. I had it muted at times. I had Rogan's fight companion going a little bit at times. I was in bed with my wife, right? So I I didn't hear his post fight interview when he started talking about thirty percent. So right. I pushed out this tweet, and I just want your reaction. Still believe Kamaru Usman is ready to challenge the welterweight elite, and has been for some time. In these spots against dangerous guys, you got to manage risk and prioritize the W. He did that tonight. Um, maybe that. Is, is being generous. I wasn't as offended by the performance as the masses. I feel like Emil Mech is, is dangerous and a little bit wild and even a threat off of his back. And I thought it was a good risk management fight for Kamaru Usman, who is trying to keep his name on a very short list of guys who are, you know, closing in on a crack at Tyron Woodley. I don't know.
4: You know what, John? Just you. Reading that tweet really fucking pisses me off because (laughs) it's just it's disrespectful, it's inaccurate. No, I know. Um, know. People love to get excited on Twitter, don't they? Um, They No, no. Listen, I I think that I think that's pretty accurate, man. Listen, I think this is a Kamara Usman who didn't have his best performance in the world. Um, but he did what he needed to do to win, and um, I thought that he used his wrestling skills like he needed to. I would have liked to see seen more action on the ground, obviously. I would have liked to have seen a Kamaru Usman who uh, typically likes to try to advance position and, and beat you up from there. He, he tried, but again, something was definitely up with Kamaru. This was not the, the normal Kamaru Usman uh, that we've seen in the past past. Uh, several fights Um, but he got the win man and anytime you get the one in the UFC that is huge now this isn't going to uh, help him performance wise as far as maybe getting those bigger fights but this is still a guy that is going to be very difficult to beat just based on his wrestling his pressure his conditioning Um, and uh, Emil Mech is another guy who a a lot of people were pretty high on as well um, right. I, I think he was a little too wild. Again, this was another case of a guy maybe going in there, uh, with a pretty g- basic game plan. Didn't really, mm-hmm. uh, have, have a great idea of what he wanted to do out there against Usman, was getting pinned up against the cage, uh, was allowing him, uh, to get pressured repeatedly. Uh, and, and Usman just took it to him, man, did exactly what he needed to do, uh, you know, grinded out another UFC win. Um, and anytime you're going 7-0 in the UFC in a, in a welterweight division that is uh, always stacked year after year, uh, it's an impressive win. Emil Mech
2: looks like a middleweight, man. Huge. I mean, it's amazing that that guy makes Lean 171. So, so when Kamaru Usman says, I was only at 30% in his post-fight interview— Uh, Does that mean his training camp was only 30%? Does that mean he was dealing with an injury? It's hard to know exactly what he meant. Now, Tyron Woodley, Kenny, recently said he would fight Nate Diaz and delay his shoulder surgery, but maybe if he was going to fight a different guy like a Kamaru Usman or a Colby Covington, he would would go under the knife, right? So I started thinking, so maybe did Kamaru Usman believe that a little bit dinged up, not a great training camp, that he can still go out and— Beat Emil Mech on on a night where he just isn't a hundred percent. I mean, because you don't want to mess around in this sport if you're going in there injured. And I don't know if he said anything after the fact, but there's a lot of questions, you know, after this win, obviously, given what he said after the fact.
4: Uh, well, I I, I don't. Pretend to know the backstory, but I would assume it would be something like that where he was most likely injured, didn't have a great camp, wasn't able to spar as much as he would have liked to. Um, and these things happen in the sport, right? Uh, there's certain injuries that you have where, yeah, you're not at 100%, but can you fight? Yes. Um, and that's a situation that happens a lot during a fighter's career. You take those risks. Uh, sometimes they pay off, sometimes they do not. This paid off for Kamar Usman. Um, and he probably felt that style-wise um, and, you know, the way he matched up against his opponent, he knew he could still get the win. It probably wasn't going to be pretty, but he was going to be able to go out there and, and get it done. Um, and that's what he did. It paid off for him. Um, a lot of times, you know, the these paydays are, are very enticing. Um, and, you know, financially, you're under pressure. Uh, career-wise, right. you're under pressure. Right. He was out there, you know, talking uh, – talking, uh, he's been talking a lot lately – Um, To kind of hype himself up and for him not to take this fight probably would have hurt him uh, standing wise and he said you know what I'm going to take this fight I could I can
2: do what I need to do to get the win and and that's what he did so um, yeah tough sport though man you dominate your opponent and a highly thought of opponent at that you're roundly booed after the fight because maybe you didn't take more chances or get the guy out of there. And then you start your post-fight interview by saying you're only at 30 percent. It's certainly not going to endear you to the masses. And it's crazy to think that a a win like this, a dominant win over a credentialed guy, could be like a setback for Kamaru Usman. But if you pay attention to social media, it's almost like that's what the narrative is. So I would like to see Kamaru Usman fight Colby Covington. Covington, I think, is trying to get that next crack at Tyron Woodley, who, as we mentioned, is on the men. But to me, I mean, Usman Covington or Usman Till, those are the fights. And Darren Till's a guy who's going to bring it out of Kamaru Usman. Right, Kenny? So, I agree. Um, so I don't know if you have a preference, one of those two fights. But I got to think among those three, they're going to close the octagon door behind two of those guys next. So we'll see.
4: Yeah, I think Colby Covington makes sense just based on his style. You kind of cancel out those two wrestler-style fighters and
2: uh – the better man wins. All right. That brings us to Darren fucking Elkins, right? I mean, what else can you say about the damage? <laughs> and You're laughing because of the tattoo. I didn't even mention the tattoo, and you're laughing because of the tattoo. <laughs> he submits Michael it's Johnson amazing, here, man. and and props to Michael Johnson, man, for looking outstanding and just attacking yeah. that weight cut and not having a slice of bread for 12 weeks. But this is a fifth loss in six starts for oh. Michael Johnson, and – We'll get to MJ in a second, but Darren Elkins, dude, I mean, the comeback king. You just can't get this guy out of there, man. And then, obviously, he's got the grappling skills and the, and, and a lot of chokes in his repertoire, and uh, Michael Johnson could take no more. He tapped out there in, uh, in round number two.
4: Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, what a reminder there for, for Michael Johnson as you're fighting a dude and you're just staring at the damage tattoo <laughs> on the chest being like, I am putting a lot of damage on this guy. He's still <laughs> in front of me. This guy still wants to fight. What the hell is going on? And then you're just reminded by that that disgusting yeah. tattoo on his chest. I, lo- I love it, man. <laughs> But Darren Elkins is an absolute savage, okay? He's a guy who could take uh, a tremendous amount of pain and damage. Uh, just, again, his ability to um, come back from adversity and, and eat those shots. And he was just clearly um, – You know, a guy who was not as fast as Michael Johnson, Michael Johnson just as fast as they come, was landing a lot of shots. Um, Elkins looked confused at one point, looked like he was hurt a couple times in that first round. Um, But, you know, if you're you're not able to take out Darren Elkins early, get ready. You know, get ready for a 15-minute, 25-minute war, whatever it is. Uh, Darren Elkins uh, has a way of adjusting, adapting, um, and... Once he got him on the ground, I said, this fight's over. He's he's going, he's going to submit Michael Johnson. That's what he did. He went around to his back, um, and Michael Johnson just looked very frustrated, man. Uh, it, it was a tough uh, tough matchup for him. He was doing great early in the fight, wasn't able to put Darren Elkins away, and... Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where if you start if you start too slow against Darren Elkins, you allow him to get back in the game. If you go too fast, you, you know, you, you maybe uh, risk getting tired later in the fight. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it was Michael Johnson necessarily getting tired. I think it was Darren Elkins hitting a beautiful takedown in that second round and just taking right. full advantage of it, not allowing Michael Johnson to get back up without tapping first.
2: After Darren Elkins came back to beat Mursad Bectic last March in in what was my upset of the year, one of the best comebacks in UFC history, I think Rogan walks into the octagon. He's like, all right, I'm here with one of the toughest human beings on the face of planet Earth, Darren Elkins. Right, And he is every bit that. I wonder if there's any marketing angle with that damage tattoo because (laughs) – whether the marketers and promoters like it or not, Darren Elkins is coming, Kenny. Six straight wins in this featherweight division. We mentioned Jeremy Stevens, obviously, earlier. Those two have fought. I believe Stevens beat him on points. But um, this, this, this guy's won six in a row. Right, Darren Elkins getting a big fight next, man, you know.
4: He's tough, dude. He is really, he's really tough. Six in tough. a row at it's 45 impressive.
2: for Darren Elkins. And, and, you but know? I, I really
4: think that that guy, you know, that win over Mursad Bektik, I think gave him a lot of confidence moving forward, yeah, too. Like, yeah. that,
2: that's the kind of fight that's going to go, man, I can
4: do anything. I, I could beat anybody. Uh, right, uh, right. Yeah. So.
2: Well, and I thought Michael Johnson, the way he approached the early portions of this fight was very much from a guy like I've been in here with Khabib Nurmagomedov, right? And now I'm in here with Darren Elkins, almost a little bit overconfident MJ thinking at least I'm not sharing the cage with Khabib tonight, but man, Darren Elkins. And I, I hesitate to call him an overachiever because then it's, oh, maybe he's not a great athlete or whatever else. But in in modern-day mixed martial arts, in this current climate at 145 pounds, for Darren Elkins, go to Team Alpha Male and reel off six consecutive wins. This is a huge story, and hopefully a lot of people are talking about Darren Elkins here after what he did over the weekend. Michael Johnson, Kenny, thought this would breathe new life into his career, moving down to 145 pounds. We like the way he attacked Fight Week, smiling on the scale, all good things. But, you know, the ledger reads l5 of six i mean do you think that 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 they cut bait with michael johnson maybe give him one more at 45 or what do you think
4: Uh, you know how crazy is this sport though i mean you get a guy who was you know One of the top fighters at 155 pounds, a guy who has beaten Edson Barbosa on the feet, by the way, uh, and now, you know, has a few losses in a row. This sport is just it's so competitive, man. It's a completely different UFC than when I was competing. The level has increased uh, tenfold. You get all these great fighters that are coming up, all these young killers. Um, And for Michael Johnson, I don't think he is going to get cut. I don't think he should get cut at this point um there are a lot of great fighters out there but I, I think michael johnson's one of those guys you can depend on whether it's at 145 pounds or 155 pounds who's gonna yeah. go at you who's gonna try to make it exciting who's gonna try to knock your head off um so i think you got to give him another shot at least at 145 yeah. pounds uh, he it looks like he made the weight well he looked healthy um started off that that fight extremely well um so I think you should give him another shot at 145 pounds. Both those divisions are uh, crazy competitive, um, but uh, stay at 145 pounds. See if you can get another win.
2: And 20 months ago, he headlined against Dustin Poirier in Hidalgo, Texas, and knocked him out in the first round, right? He's right. a guy with a win over Tony Ferguson, and I, you took my point. I mean, I feel like there's value, right, on this roster of five or 600 fighters. I think he's a guy who, who has some name value, and you know he's going to bring it. Yep. You know, you can headline him on FS1 in a lot of different places, two divisions, as you mentioned. So hopefully uh, Michael Johnson can can get at least one more in the UFC, which would certainly amount to a must-win, I would think. Uh, his next time out. All right, a couple things on the prelim. So James Krause, a winner over Alex White by unanimous decision. And so these are two of Missouri's best fighters. And I thought it was a very good back and forth fight. I know you can poke holes in, in Alex White's grappling and James Krause was able to take advantage. But here I'm thinking you have two of Missouri's finest going at it. And this St. Louis crowd is just wooing right doing the whole rick flair thing and i know yeah. now it's like the cool thing in mma right to bang on all the fans who are wooing and i'm not necessarily trying to do that but i thought it was very bizarre kenny during this fight between two of their guys that was a good back and forth fight a fight in which both guys had their moments and they're just wooing it's like i don't know man some of these domestic crowds for the ufc and the states leave a little bit to be desired in my humble opinion
4: yeah, it's not cool. Listen, I think again, um, we've come a far. Uh, you know, we've come a, a, a long way uh, when it comes to this sport, uh, but still, I, I think the education process needs to happen, and and I think that's where we can do a better job of really explaining what's going on, what is actually going on in regards to the grappling. Um, how difficult it is to set up a takedown, put someone on their back, keep them there, what control is all about, how difficult that is, Um, what's going on with the jiu-jitsu game, really getting uh, into the analysis a little bit more. And and again, it it comes with time. The sport is still very new, but uh, educating uh, uh, the fans is uh, a work in progress. Uh, I think we need to continue to do that to the best of our ability. Um, And then, you know, there's just fans that you know they they want to see a they want to see a, a sloppy scrap. You know if you're just standing up and winging punches blindly, right. Um, right. people get excited about that. Yeah. You know they should watch a street fight. It, yeah, this a is a sport. Show, exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it's a little different, but um, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. James Krause, I know he was really excited about fighting in his home uh, city. Right. Hopefully that didn't disappoint him too much. Um,
2: I, I did not see that fight actually. Uh, well, it was but, funny uh, because yeah. you you're like right after the fight. And he started his post fight interview. They were booing a little bit, but Krause Mm. had a lot of support in the building. And so thankfully, they were able to drown out those boos with cheers. But yeah, I think it was sort of a a little bit of a a bittersweet moment for him a little bit. Right. Because he again on our airwaves a few weeks ago was saying, you know, I want to be the greatest fighter Missouri has ever seen, you know. Um
4: it, I feel for James. I had a shitty ass fight when I fought in Boston against Gray Maynard. It was like yeah. boring as hell, you know? Like yeah. every time I tried to engage, he backed up, he took me down at yeah. the end of the round, held me there, you know, it, it, sometimes it just doesn't go your way, man, it, and uh yeah.
2: Well, and and Alex White, sorry to chop. Alex my home White's now. getting you did, it was one of the Maybe. worst nights of my of my life as a mixed martial arts fan. I'll tell you that. And <laughs> you know, I had to go do MMA live after Gray Maynard. Just you know, laid and prayed you all night. <laughs> Love you, Gray. I'm just kidding. I didn't, my recall's not great. But um, where were we? We were talking about uh, what were we talking about? Uh, Alex again? White. Alex White. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So Alex White is getting the better of James Krause on the feet. So what do you do, right? You you mix the martial arts and you put him on his back in every round, right? And you make sure you win the fight. Like James Krause needs to go out and win the fight. And I thought he did a pretty good job of doing that. And I think Alex White, again, is still a young guy. I I like seeing him fuller at 155 pounds. But obviously, uh, he he looked to be a little bit one or two-dimensional and and couldn't deal with Kraus on the ground. Uh, Did you see Polo Reyes' knockout of Matt Frivola by chance, Flo?
4: I did not, man. So we're going
2: to table that because Longo is not able to join us today. He is at the airport. Uh, So we're going to get Ray's thoughts on that. Obviously, a disappointing... Uh, night for for team Sarah Longo one minute in for Vola sort of got folded oh. up like a beach chair a little bit uh your your guy Guido Canetti loses by triangle to I Kyung know. Ho Kang uh Irene Aldana with a big win boxing looks sharp she's a winner by unanimous decision all right final thing is we put a bow here flow on St. Louis um did you happen to see UFC Hall of Famer Matt Hughes walk out to the octagon under his own power um I guess six or seven months ago, as many of our listeners know, he he, he was in his truck. He was hit by a train. Uh, there have not been a lot of reports coming out of the Midwest as to how Matt has been doing. We saw some pictures start to surface. But, man, not knowing this was coming, to see him under his own power walk to the octagon with a limp like that. I mean, worldwide we're, we're crying watching that moment. Just a pretty special part of the broadcast Sunday.
4: I got very emotional uh, watching that, I must admit. And, you know, you see the highlights of a guy like Matt Hughes, a guy that you see as just this destroyer, this guy that's invincible, that was, you know, getting choked out by Frank Trigg, finds a way to escape, gets out, uh, picks him up, drives him across the octagon, slams him on the other side of the octagon, and then chokes him out. You see this uh, just crazy survivor, this crazy tough country boy, uh, as he's referred to, and then you see him walk out and... Um, you know, limping out to the cage. And you're like, this is a guy that has just experienced um, so much adversity in his life um, and, and coming out and seeing him, you know, uh, hug his wife and talk to his wife. That, that's kind of what broke me down a little bit mm-hmm. um, and, and see this guy, as you see, is like invincible. And you realize how fragile life is, uh, and what he dealt with, and how he's, you know, limping out to the cage, and it, it isn't the same Matt Hughes that we, we we knew that was out there, you know, crushing it in the octagon for so many years. Right. Um, it, it, it makes it makes you realize how fragile life is, and also just how damn tough. Matt Hughes is as well, and, and to see him do that I thought was just a, a special night, um, a, a well-deserved uh, ode to him, a, a guy who has entertained us so many times, uh, has shown his toughness uh, in and out of the octagon, man. Uh, wh- what an inspiring story, and, and um, what an emotional thing to see.
2: And you put it well, and he, he's not that far removed from the accident, so I think encouraging that, that maybe he can even improve that walk and continue to improve yeah. both. Mentally and physically, but just great to see Matt Hughes back at a UFC event and kind of nice not working the show. Kenny, I was totally surprised by it. Right. You know, I didn't it was just really a a warm thing. And I had my kids watch it and everything else. So pretty cool moment there for Matt Hughes. All right. Last thing on St. Louis has nothing to do with St. Louis. Do they woo in Boston? Because here, you know, I'm taking this stance. Right. And, And now I'm fearful. Right. TD Garden has been historically a great domestic audience for us when Dominic Cruz was. You know, bobbin' and weaving against T.J. Dillashaw. That crowd's ooing and aahing and cheering the defensive <laughs> fighter, right? Excuse so, me. bless you, Ken Flo. I feel like this is an educated MMA audience. That said, there are a lot of WWE fans in the building, and I I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little bit of wooing this week. We kick him out. We kick him out. Any fan that has found okay,
4: wooing, we kick him out of the garden. All right, yeah. Just kick him out. Of the exit stage right. Out of here.
0: Enjoy, enjoy dude, the Pats game. Dude, the you, can't you
2: can't woo in the garden. You're out of here. Go get to go. Drink All some right. beers. All right. Well, we are going to uh, get into that UFC 220 stuff. I assure you. Uh, first, though, back to mattress firm. Kenny, let's keep the ball rolling, shall we? The base for my argument is simple. Your bed budget can go further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store. It's a true home run and you'll have a ball. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this. They are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to, to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout, if you will. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. All right, UFC 220 beckons. Let's get to the picks. It's the main
0: event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now.
3: Florian.
0: I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible
3: to win. The main event challenge. The John Annick and Kenny Florian podcast.
2: All right, Ken Flo. So here in begins the 2018 main event challenge. Ken Flo, your winner in 2015. Team Anik won in 2016. Team Florian right back in 2017. He never loses two straight. You know that. Um, So I'm going to eat a Vegemite sandwich to pay off the bet on an upcoming video episode of, of this podcast. But we need suggestions from the listeners as to what the stakes will be in 2018. I have two suggestions. So... Number one, I think the loser does a power hour on the air. You and I are not big drinkers, right? And that's what makes this fun, right? So I think one of us would throw up, honestly, because I don't know when the last time you had like seven and a half beers in an hour. But it's a shot of beer every minute for an hour. So we would do it during the podcast. And and Ben Wasoric and the crew, you know, they would cue every 60 seconds, little sound effect. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the other one, I thought, and you can put the tattoo anywhere you want, but loser gets in the same exact font the damage. <laughs> and I know you don't want that,
4: so you're probably gonna do the. Oh, hour. dude! No way! No way! Other the damage one, on the face,
0: maybe. Well, no. So and then, yeah. Oh,
2: can you imagine? Right, just forehead. under the eye. The other one I thought of was you have to get a UFC fighter tattoo replica approved by the other person, right? So for me, I go game bread on the neck. (laughs) You're a savage, dude. I love (laughs) it. No, you're not. That's the thing. Um, Oh, you're a psychopath. I All love right, it. So, uh, at Kenny Florian, <laughs> at Anik Florian Pod, if you have su- suggestions as to what uh, the penalties should be for loser of the 2018 main event challenge. Other rules remain the same, just going to do more quick picks here this year. So, overall, Kenny is going to make more predictions on UFC fights That's in 2018 hilarious. than he ever has before. All right, with that backdrop, joining us today, trying to get Team Anik off to a good start, by the way. Staff writer contributor at oddshark.com, joining us live from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Justin Hartling is with us Justin my man thank you for joining us today how are you sir I am
3: fantastic. I think that the uh, that, that, that tattoo idea that you had there is absolutely perfect. I think Florian <laughs> might need a little bit of ink.
2: All right, well, we'll see. I'm just afraid that I can't beat the guy head-to-head, and then the you know the, these tattoo bets are starting to pile up. All right, let's get to the predictions here for <laughs> UFC 220, and if you do follow Justin Hartling on Twitter, uh, a very good follow when it comes to MMA and UFC odds and all of that stuff. First fight you will see on pay-per-view this weekend. Good matchup here at Bantamweight Boys. Thomas Almeida, Rob Font. So Font now working with Joe Lozon's team, as I understand it, no longer with Mark Delagradi. He was submitted by Pedro Munoz back in October. Here he is the minus, no, he is the plus 135 underdog against the minus 175 favorite Thomas Almeida. Uh, Justin Almeida, also a loser his last time out. That was back in July against Jimmy Rivera. Are you going Almeida or Font here Saturday night? Uh,
3: Taking a look at it, I think you have to go Almeida He's had a couple of tough losses, obviously, coming off that loss to Rivera. Two fights ago, he lost to Garbrandt, but he's still extremely young. He still has lethal knockout power in all of his limbs. He's still precise. The big thing, obviously, with him, and we've seen that, is momentum. He can start a little slow, but once he kind of gets the blood flowing, that's when he really starts becoming dangerous. And Font, Font is heavy-handed, um, but I don't like... He has that kind of boxing stance. He's very heavy on that lead leg, which I think will allow Almeida to use a lot of leg kicks, again, to kind of start that momentum. And eventually, I think that ends up being too much for Font, even though, like you said, he is training with uh, Lozon on now. So there is, I feel like, an off chance. Maybe he decides that striking isn't the way to go. Maybe he tries to grapple, but I still say Almeida.
2: All right, so Justin goes with Thomas Almeida. Kenny, relatively short price, I guess, on Almeida here at minus 175, given where he has been throughout the bulk of his UFC career, was favored against Cody Garbrandt back in that main event. Um, Thomas Almeida or, or the Bostonian Rob Font, kid? Which way are you going?
4: Uh, I'm going to go with Thomas Almeida. Uh, I think he he's the kind of guy that really thrives um, when the fight starts to get a little crazy. Rob Font, um, I, I think he's going to fight, in, in the manner that Thomas Almeida really favors. Um, and, you know, it, it never, I don't want to say never, but it's very difficult to switch to a different um, style of camp uh, and to go in a big fight like this and, and do well at a high level. Maybe I'm wrong here, um, right. but uh, I'm going to go with Thomas Almeida.
2: All right, next up, boys, perhaps the two best featherweights that nobody has heard of, and, and I say that somewhat In Jess, Shane Burgos has been a guest on this show. But Shane Burgos versus Calvin Cater. So Burgos 10-0, 3-0 in the UFC. Actually, all three of his UFC fights have been in New York. Now he's on the road in Boston against the Methuen, Massachusetts native Calvin Cater, who is 17-2. I saw Sean Shelby in Vegas, Ken Flo. He told me this was by design New York versus Boston. And you know Shelby is Tom Brady's first cousin is absolutely locked in to the New York versus Boston thing. So neither guy here, Justin Burgos or Cater is ranked. But certainly I would think a big name undoubtedly awaits the winner who can get it done in this pay-per-view spot. Burgos road favorite minus 265. Calvin Cater is plus 185. Justin Hartling, your thoughts? Well, I think the overwhelming opinion is probably going to be on Burgos. Obviously, he's had more fights in the UFC.
3: He has a lot more power in his hands. But actually, like uh, Cater in this one, and the big Mm. reason why is he simply knows how to win rounds. And I know a lot of times when MMA fans hear stuff like that, they think it's relatively boring. But you can see he fights a very consistent, very smart fight. And you see him turn it up in the last 30 seconds of rounds. He's now won seven straight fights all by decision because of that style. He knows what he's good at. He knows how to take his time and when to explode to win those rounds. Um, it's still nerve-wracking taking him in this fight because we've seen Burgos has massive power, but he likes to kind of bait guys to throw, and I think Qatar is going to be wise enough not to run right into his wheelhouse and get himself knocked out. I think there's a lot of similarities, but ultimately Qatar's ability to win the rounds
2: and at this price, I'd like him in this one. Yeah, I was going to say, I know Justin is a sharp MMA better, likes that plus 185 value. Shane Burgos, Kenny, on the other side, as we mentioned, 3-0 and in the UFC. Also, to my knowledge, the only fighter in UFC history to get his ponytail cut on the stool. Uh, Burgos Cater this weekend. Flo, your thoughts?
4: Uh, interesting. You know, um, I actually think Shane Burgos uh, is a little bit smarter at winning rounds than Calvin Cater. But... Um, th- that's why I'm going to go with Burgos. Um, I think Calvin Cater absolutely can win the fight. Um, I-, I think he's a guy who's difficult to deal with, um, has a-, a decent amount of experience. So I'm going to go with Burgos here for the win.
2: All right, next up, co main event. We're already there. Two time UFC light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier. Prohibitive favorite here, guys. Minus 325. The challenger, Vulcan Demir 250. So. I'm going to talk to Daniel tomorrow as part of our fighter calls. And among the things I'm going to ask him about, you know, for the first time, Kenny, that I can remember, he's saying publicly that an opponent is not on his level. And maybe he has said this in the past, but I don't remember him continuously saying, you know, there are levels to this. This guy's not on my level Um and I, I want to hear why he is is so convinced that Vulcan's not on the level. Justin, the question to you is, how do you see this title fight playing out? Is Ouzdemir anywhere near Cormier's level? And, and being a championship fight will also need a, uh, a method of victory and a round, uh, if you'd be so kind.
3: Yeah, to, to put it bluntly, I don't think Ozdemir is on the same level as Cormier. I, I know you're a big believer in this when I say that D.C. is one of the all-time great pounds-to-pounds no no yeah. questions asked. He's one of the few fighters that have gotten it done at different weight classes, and he's done it differently. And you see at light heavyweight, he's learned how to use his very stocky frame, his kind of his size advantage, and really grind guys out. And again, you hear stuff like you grind out opponents. People tend to think that that's a little boring, but he really does do it, and usually the most violent way by just wearing guys down and mentally breaking them before he even physically breaks them. The striking game isn't the sexiest by any stretch of the imagination, but it's effective for what he wants to do. And Uzdemir is is great. He, I would kind of define his striking as advanced basic, like it's, it's very meat and potatoes, but it's good. Mm-hmm. His main weapon is that big left hand, but if DC went in there with somebody like Rumble twice and didn't get caught, I don't think Uzdemir is going to be able to either. So ultimately, I actually kind of think that this plays out quite a bit like Cormier's fights against Rumble. Uh, DC kind of cautious at first, feeling it out, but eventually grinding him down. And I'm going to take him to win by a TKO in the third round.
2: All right, Daniel Cormier, TKO, round three. And I agree with a lot of the analysis in there. Volkan Uzdemir is certainly the less known quantity here coming in. For D.C. Canning, I mean, you know him as well as you know any fighter on the roster, one of your dear friends, uh, a guy who doesn't take any opponent lightly despite the fact that he thinks Uzdemir is not necessarily on the level, and just an amazing athlete, right? Like with D.C., you just don't let the frame fool you. Watch this guy shoot a 15-footer, right? I mean, this is an outstanding athlete. Uh, You think D.C. defends successfully this weekend or what?
4: Well, he is an excellent athlete. Uh, I think that this talk from uh, Daniel Cormier really – Stems from not necessarily thinking that uh, you know Vulcan's not on the level. It's him wanting Vulcan to believe that he's not on the okay. level, and I, I think that's where that's coming from. Uh, Daniel is a, a ball ballbuster. Uh, he's a guy who's always going to try to get in your head and and talk crap, and uh, no matter who you are, whether you're a buddy or an opponent, and I think he's trying to plant that seed of doubt in Uzdemir's mm-hmm. uh, head uh, the best that he can. Um, Now, style-wise, I just think he's going to be a tough matchup for Uzdemir. Here's the thing, though, with Uzdemir. What makes him dangerous is the fact that he throws punches from um, a lot of crazy angles. He can can land in short. He can land you from far away. He can slip off and be completely off balance, land a shot, and still knock you out. He has that kind of power, and he'll throw shots that you don't see. So for Cormier, he has to set up his takedowns well. Yes, he can go out there and wrestle and take him down and, and grind him down or maybe submit him how does he do that though he needs to be very cautious in, in his approach uh, he needs to faint his way in he needs to keep Volkan Uzdemir guessing as to when he's going to come in and utilize that takedown because Uzdemir reads opponents very well and it will catch you so um it, the more that Cormier can throw a lot of variety uh and faint his way in will serve him well if Cormier's fighting Godzilla, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna pick Daniel I know you Cormier. I know you so uh, I think Cormier, uh, this is a favorable matchup for him. He does need to fight smart. I'm going with
2: Cormier. Uh, I think that third round TKO sounds pretty good to me as well. All right, Cormier, round three TKO. I was going to ask, like, are you even contractually allowed to go on UFC tonight and <laughs> pick Vol- Volkan Uzdemir by first round knockout against DC? I don't even know if Steve Becker and the, the crew right. over there would even let you do that.
4: No, exactly. First of all, you know, let's say I wasn't Daniel Cormier's friend. Did you see how he slammed Alexander Gustafson and, and Dan Henderson with that? That's what he would do to me easily with yeah, one arm. Right, so right. I'm not picking against him for that reason as well.
2: And, of course, when I do talk to him tomorrow, my first question is going to be the New Orleans Saints, man. Ugh. <laughs> Tough pill to swallow. For, not the pa- uh, They're not the Patriots. Saints. Let's put it that way. All right, finally, boys, the UFC heavyweight championship. Stipe Miocic in search of a record third title defense on paper. That would actually make him the most decorated UFC big man of all time. And I think to break that record, Kenny, with a win as a betting underdog against Francis Ngannou in current form would be just a great way to break the record for Stipe. So Ngannou, though, guys, minus 185. Stipe the plus 155 underdog. Justin, round and method of victory as well. UFC heavyweight championship fight. And still, and new, which way you go. I've been going back and forth
3: on this one a lot. This is probably one of the toughest decisions I've had. I, I absolutely love Fipe. I truly believe that he is the most well rounded heavyweight in the world right now. He's technically sound everywhere, and he has the history behind him. Underdog champions are eight and four with one no contest since the start of 2009, and the wow. four no with one no contest in the last five. So champions like being. Overlooked. Champions like being the underdogs of history is anything to say. And I think Stepe can beat ninety nine percent of heavyweights in the world, but he's hittable. And you can only dance with the devil so long. And we've seen that Ganu's power is astronomical. Like I've never seen anything like it. I've watched that Overeen knockout probably three thousand times now, and it's still impressive to me. And he does it because he's getting technically better. He's not just a bomber anymore, as he was kind of in the early goings in his career. He's so technically refined, and you can see his movement. So it's only a matter of time, I think, until Stipe gets caught. So I'm going to say that Nganu wins the heavyweight championship by a second-round knockout.
2: Second round knockout for Francis Ngannou. All right, Ken Flo, the floor is yours. I would imagine this isn't the easiest fight for you to pick either between uh, Stipe and Francis this weekend.
4: Yeah, mainly because uh, I'm such a huge fan of Stipe Miocic. You know, uh, this is a guy who um, has beaten pretty much everyone in front of him in his UFC career. Um, You see where he's. He's come back from in that fight against Stefan Struve to where he is now as a fighter and the different things that he can do. Um, you know his underdog status, which you know happens time and time again. Um, you know he's kind of the Frankie Edgar of the heavyweight division, both the way that he fights and how people kind of view him. He's very quiet but when he goes out to fight. He's as exciting as every anybody out there, um, but doesn't brag about it. Um, he's one of those hardworking guys that you just have to respect. Here's the problem with Stipe Miocic is is that you know when he goes out there and fights and he gets even when he gets these first round knockouts it's almost like he needs to get hit to to get him into the fight a little bit and you just can't do that against someone like Francis Ngannou. Um, if you get caught against someone like Ngannou that's it it's over. He, all he has to do is kind of skim your chin. Um, and, and the way that Stipe Miocic gets into his boxing range where he's most effective um it worries me. He uses his head as a battering ram. He doesn't get his head off the center line um, in, in a manner that says that he can do that repeatedly against someone like Ingunu. I also am a little concerned because I haven't seen Mijatich use a lot of his wrestling. It's usually him knocking guys down as opposed to him going in there, hitting that double leg takedown, putting guys right. on his back. We haven't seen that a little bit. That concerns me. He's going to have to do that against Ingunu. Make no mistake about it. He does not want to be on his feet for too long. Can another heavyweight knock out a, another heavyweight? Absolutely. We're talking about four-ounce gloves. Uh, Stipe can catch Ngannou. The problem is every time he deals with that um, and, and decides to train uh, uh, trade uh, with someone like Igano, especially on the outside, is a big-time risk. I see Ngannou catching him. Um, those knockouts against Overeem, the knockout against and Nganou reads you very well. Everyone talks about his power. Everyone talks about his speed. But he knows where your vulnerabilities are. He knows where your head is going to be. He can see it in an instant, and he can hit the target when he wants. Um, that does not bode well for Mijicic. I think Nganou gets another uh, first-round knockout win here. I-, I hate to say it um, because I love Mijicic. Um, but Ngannou uh, uh, will, will get the win, and I think he's going to get it by knockout in brutal fashion. This guy just this, hits way too hard. Miocic needs to protect himself
2: out there. This is unbelievable. I, I, you know, this is just crazy. I, I, the experts are all in on Francis gano you know. It all plays out in six days, Boston, Massachusetts, and, and I would imagine, Kenny, if Francis Ngannou knocks out Stipe in round one, Your projection is that he just becomes, you know, the second coming of Brock Lesnar. I mean, obviously not on that level of superstardom, but uh, you go beat Stipe, become the heavyweight champion. Uh, At the very least, Francis Ngannou would be uh, would be a millionaire. All right. Finally, guys, quick pick for the record. Second fight on the main card. Justin, light heavyweights. John Volante, minus 215. Francimar, Bodau, Bahose, plus 165. We don't need any analysis. I just need a winner for the record. Justin, who will it be? Yeah, it's
3: going to be Vellante. He's just not going to get grinded out
2: in this one. John Vellante, the favorite. Ken Flo, you going with him or Francimar behos
3: This, I think, is the toughest
4: pick because you, you never know which of these guys you're going to get on fight night. I, I, I'm going to go with what Justin said. I think John Vellante gets the win.
2: All right, oddshark.com's Justin Hartling on Twitter. You can find him at Justin Hartling, H-A-R-T-L-I-N-G. Appreciate your time today, man. As always, you beat KenFlow head-to-head. You earn a return trip to the show, man. We will talk to you soon. Thank you very much, man. Have a good week. All right, you too. All right, Justin Hartling there from OddsShark.com. By the way, not a sponsor of the show, so I'm not being paid to th- say this. For me, though, in terms of fight odds, UFC odds, that's the best site out there. Presentation is clean, easy to access. You're getting your opening numbers, current betting lines from all the betting sites that are out there. So OddsShark.com. Uh, A lot of good Canadians and intelligent Canadians, by the way, on that staff. So hopefully my decision to start the year with Justin Hartling uh, pays off today. Well, support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in just minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage Buy quick and Loans apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash ANIC, rocketmortgage.com A-N-I-K, equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, now joining us on the guest line, and we're glad to have him. You know, in my three years living in Vegas, probably the guy I spent the most time with away from the UFC job. So good friend of the show and the vice president of operations for the UFC Performance Institute. I mean, Ken Flo, that that title sounds good right there. James (laughs) Kimball is with us. James, uh, pleasure is ours, my man. Good morning. How's it going out there?
1: John, Kenny, good morning. Thanks for having me. Very kind of you guys to have me on. Look forward to the chat.
2: Wait till you go to foxsports.com and see this picture of you, too, that they have pulled up with your arms crossed. You look great. So are you live at the wow. UFC PI right now or, or, or no? I'm live.
1: I'm live. We don't, um, <clears throat> at the PI, we don't necessarily observe many holidays, so yeah. we are live with athletes in the building. We are we are at work.
2: And Martin Luther King Jr. would want you doing your civic duty, so I'm glad you reported of course. for duty. I Staff meeting, so. top yeah. of the hour, so so we're not going to keep you long. Um But you have been one of the guys really at the forefront of the UFC PI, and the reviews have just been outstanding. Kenny and I have both been in the building and and worked out there. I'd imagine for you and your staff, pretty gratifying to see this type of response from the entire MMA world.
1: Yeah, 100%. I know you guys have both made the trip, and we appreciated that. And yet, to be honest, I mean, when we started this project, building out this this world-class facility a couple years ago, there, there were days we had doubt. Obviously, it's unprecedented in combat sports. It's truly unprecedented in global sports, right? I mean, we don't have a set population of athletes that we work with, like an NFL team or an NBA team. You open doors, you hope people show up. Um, but right. in this sport, in this infrastructure, it's not mandatory. Um, obviously, seven months in, the feedback, has, as you mentioned, has been phenomenal. And the numbers back it up, too. I mean, just in terms of utilization, we have 43% of the roster who has tapped in and visited the facility at some point, <clears throat> 62% retention rate. So that, that's defined as athletes re-engaging in our facility um, and our remote services as well. I mean, we work with athletes remotely a ton. We're essentially at this point influencing 25, 27% of the entire roster. So a quarter of the roster, we have touch points with around nutrition, physical therapy, strength and conditioning, analytics, Um, No, so the feedback's been great. The utilization is there. The athletes seem to really enjoy it, and, yeah, it's very rewarding for myself and our entire staff.
2: So how soon do you think we're going to see, like, one of your full-time staffers, strength and conditioning guy, maybe actually cornering a UFC fighter on on fight night? To be honest, that that potential
1: probably has existed already, Um, but it is very important for us that we really don't take that stance, Right. Uh, you know, we work for the entire roster, right? We are impartial. We don't want to position ourselves as a gym. Um, obviously, we're located in Las Vegas, so you have the local Vegas athletes who tap in this facility week in and week out. I'll use this example coming up this weekend, right? I mean, obviously, Francis Ganu trains here full-time. But the reality is, and this needs to be known, that if, if Stepe shows up next, next Tuesday, he's getting the exact same resources. Right. Um, So we're not necessarily um, going to position ourselves as a team member of an athlete. Um, We are here for the entire roster.
2: So that brings us to Francis Ngannou, Ken Flo, essentially the face of the UFC PI right now. Not that you guys have have put him on the front of the building, but he really right now right. is the face of, of the PI, fighting Stepe Miocic for the title here in five days, as you mentioned. Now, he's been in Paris for the last couple of weeks, so a- as the vice president of operations for the PI, are you at least to, <laughs> a- a- allowed to say like you miss seeing the big man in the building three or four times a day?
1: To be honest, I'm not entirely sure I do. Um, <laughs> um, I, 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 I say that jokingly. Obviously, Francis is, um, is, is great to have around the building. Um, he, he never leaves it, which I think has been a benefit for him. His trip to Paris was always planned. You know, around the holidays, he wanted to get away and get back to his, his home gym and, and work with his, with his head coach, um, Fernand Lopez, over at the MMA Factory in Paris. Um, but, you know, I mean, you know, what we provided Francis from from the minute we opened doors in May was really just structure, right? I mean, he moved, he relocated to Vegas without anyone, without any idea of really what was going to happen next. So I think the biggest benefit that he's received from training at the PI really is just that it's structure. Obviously, it's the access to the world-class facility, the world-class staff that we have that he can tap into. Um, but really, it's a structure, right? It's, it's, it's a purpose-driven approach to training. Um, and I think he's really benefited from that. And, yeah, I mean, the final couple of weeks that he spent in Paris, I think, honestly, was probably benefit for him. You know, obviously, we're, we're, we're attached to the global headquarters, right? So in Vegas, there's a lot, of, a lot of media responsibilities, a lot of sponsor responsibilities, certain obligations that popped up. It was probably good for him to get away a bit.
4: So, James, you, you've seen a lot of amazing athletes both in and out of the UFC, obviously mostly UFC athletes lately. And when you're at the UFC PI, how impressive is it to see a guy like Francis Ngannou work out? I mean, can you give us an example of, of something that he's done besides, obviously, his punching power? Can you give us an example of something you saw that just kind of blew you away a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Francis is a one-of-the-pound athlete. I mean, regardless of whether or not we were here for him, I mean, he he was going to be an elite-level athlete and fighter. Um, but I think the most impressive part about Francis is, obviously, his power is well-known and well-documented, but it's his movement. It's mm-hmm. his athleticism. For a guy that size, he controls his movement so, so well. Um, you know, whether it's a strength and conditioning workout or just working upstairs in, in the octagon, I mean, he moves really agile. I mean, he, he, has, he has balance. He has control of everything he does. I think that's the most important, uh, impressive part for me is just his overall athleticism.
4: You know, James. Last time I was at the UFC PI, you know, it, it, I was blown away just by everything that you guys have in there. State of the art equipment. Here's the problem: Have you fixed the body fat scan machine? Because last time I was in there, it said I wasn't at three percent body fat. So have you guys have you guys fixed that yet?
2: Uh-huh.
1: We we did recalibrate it. We did recalibrate it 100%. You make a return, visit, you're under double digits. promise
4: you. All right, perfect. I was a little <laughs> concerned with that,
1: yeah.
2: Ken Flow feels like he's got to be a little bit closer to that 5% threshold if he's going to make a comeback. Ken Flow inspired to make I a comeback, so. actually, after watching the St. Louis show this weekend. Uh, UFC Vice President of Operations at the PI, James Kimball, with us here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. What was up with Forrest Griffin going through, like, a, a practice weight cut a few weeks ago? I mean, did, was this endorsed by you? I know you guys are close, but Jesus, Jimmy, what are we doing in our spare time?
1: Hey, it was impressive. I mean, talk about a guy that still has it. You know, he just shows up to work one day on a Monday and says, you know what? I think I'm going to make weight. <clears throat> make weight? What do you mean? Well, you know, this is the weigh-in Friday. <laughs> I think I'm going to, like, cut weight. Okay? And the next thing we know, like, Wednesday in a meeting, he's carrying around his gallon jug of distilled water. Wow. You know, he, he's a little bit
2: cloudy in the head, but the guy <laughs> made weight. That's a man. He
1: um, it did impressive. hit
2: the number. It's impressive. I, I got to be did. honest. So, Francis and Ganu might not have moved to Las Vegas were it not for, for the UFC PI. I mean, are you expectant that, that that's going to be a trend? That, that fighters are actually going to move to Las Vegas and make that a cornerstone of their training camps, even when that maybe wasn't even close to their radar before this building and facility was erected?
1: Yeah, you know, I think we've, we've seen a bit of that, but to be honest, I think the, the most beneficial aspect of, a, of an athlete tapping into the PI is really visited multiple times throughout the year for a couple of days, four or five days, right? So rather than fully relocate, which, you know, on a personal level may be difficult for some athletes, tap into the facility, come through and get some diagnostic testing, some objective data points to where you can go back to your home, home gym, home camp, come back in three months and see what you've improved and where you haven't. Um, obviously yeah. we're here for athletes. Should they want to relocate to get to Vegas? We have had athletes who haven't fully relocated, but have spent four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks at a time with us, which I think is obviously extremely beneficial. Uh, but I, I think the most beneficial part for athletes would be just tapping in maybe three or four times a year. Um, and, you know, it's not many places where you can receive this type of objective data. So, again, you know, the entire purpose behind what we do here is to provide athletes an understanding of exactly um, what's required for them to optimize their performance. Uh, Everything is so individualized, right? So athletes really need to understand exactly what they're working with, whether it's, you know, body composition testing or strength and power profile testing. Um, You know, what we can provide athletes is is access to data and insights into their – into their into their you um, know physical preparation, in which they can't access anywhere else. So while we're right. here for athletes, I think that's the most beneficial part for them.
2: I can't wait till the Raiders come to town and you have all the Las Vegas Raiders showing up at James Kimball's office asking for more body armor. <laughs> uh, all right, a couple more minutes here with with my good friend James Kimball. So I know you're a fight fan at your core as well. So. I mean, I know you share our excitement, Stipe, Miacic, Francis, Ngannou. Are you surprised that Nganu is about a two-to-one favorite as we sit here, you know, on Monday morning?
1: I am. I, I, I think the purpose and the reason behind that, obviously, I think, you know, it's 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 kind of... You know, it's... Stipe hasn't fought in a while, right? You know, Francis just fought a month ago and recorded one of the best knockouts in UFC history, right? So it's... it's right. Um, Francis is fresh in everyone's mind, you know, but people have to remember that Stipe has not gone out of the first round in his last few fights as well, right? He's finished, guys, within the first five minutes, um, and he has, he's obviously extremely well-rounded, has one-punch power. Um, I I think the reason why Francis is the favorite, just because I think he's really fresh in everyone's mind at the moment, but, you know, I... I expect this fight doesn't go the full 25, uh, but I think either fighter is capable of, of walking out of there with, with that goal. All
2: right. I know you're a diehard New York Giants lifer. Uh, who's going to be oh their gosh. next head football coach? Not Matt Patricia.
1: Yeah, and not Josh McDaniels, apparently. Either. <laughs> I think he's favoring the, the Colts position over that. Boy. <clears throat> I, would love, I, I would love to say that I have a good idea, but with the remaining candidates left out there, Unless we pull some, some rabbit out of the hat and get Clyde Saban away from Alabama. I don't know. I'm I'm hearing maybe Pat Shermer who's the Vikings Ooh. Yeah. Either way it's not a good setup. Either way it is not a good position um, <laughs> to be a Giants fan at the moment, uh, to to be honest. But you know what? The Yanks. How about that? How yeah. about that lineup, right? You That's know, right. We can look, you look forward right. to that as New Yorkers. That's
2: right. I I have already bet on them at five to one to win the World Series. <laughs> it's down to three. They get more respect from Vegas than any team in the history of, of professional sports. All right. Last thing then, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars right now getting nine and a half at New England in the AFC Championship game. Uh, forced to bet on that game against the spread. Which side are you on?
1: I mean, like whenever whenever you're getting more than a touchdown,
0: it's, it's, it's gotta it's kind
1: take a the, the the rule is is you gotta take the points, but look, I, I, I think the I think the Jags are a great defense, right? I think Bortles played pretty well yesterday. I've I seeing him play as well and not turn the ball over as much in New England this weekend. My expectation is New England does win by double digits.
2: All right, and last thing, I know you're a new father. Congratulations, Anthony. Handsome little man. Can't be you got what is he, like two months old at this point? Not even.
1: He's, he's two months tomorrow. He's two months right, tomorrow. Two months to he's healthy. Awesome. My wife Jennifer's healthy. Everyone's happy. It's a true blessing. Congrats, um, you know, man. That's great. Talk about uh, change in, in, in the life's perspective. Um, it, it, it's truly a blessing. We love it each and every day we get to
2: spend with him. So, like, what do you say to Ken Flo, who is about a month out from <laughs> expecting his first? Uh,
1: just just enjoy enjoy the, the moments you have when it's just um, – it's just, just the two of you, but um, but know that when your life changes that it's changing for the better. yeah um, there's there's no better thing than fatherhood and at least from my experience, John, I know I know you as well and John, congratulations. I, I think you're, you're you're adding a um, another member to the family tree as well. so um, I mean it's it's an absolute blessing. I don't think anyone would disagree with that.
2: Thank you, there my man. There is the man, the vice president <clears throat> of operations for the UFC Performance Institute, James Kimball. Thank you for hopping on, buddy. I know you don't have a vested interest this weekend, but I know you're going to enjoy watching Francis Ngannou Absolutely. go in there with his UFC PI tattoo uh, and try to put it on, <laughs> on Stepe Miocic. Love you, buddy. Thank you for hopping on with us. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Talk soon. James Kimball with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So when you went to – they, like, put you through – like, I just hopped on a treadmill. I was like, you're not measuring my body fat right now. I mean, you went through the ringer.
4: I I really did. And actually the whole time I I legit was, like, pissed that they didn't have this when I was fighting. I was like, where the
2: hell was this
4: whole thing when I was fighting? I would have taken full advantage of it because – uh, it really is an impressive place, man. All, all the types of gadgets and things that you have at your disposal as a UFC fighter now is just ridiculous, man. Um, they have it all, uh, everything from training to recovery, um, to, you know, training in an octagon with, uh, you know, fight night lights, so overhead, yeah. uh, video technology. I mean, it's ridiculous. It, it's, it, insane. it's, it's very, very impressive. Yeah.
2: They have like interpretation booths, right? For mm-hmm. media. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable facility yep. and, uh. You know, maybe when your daughter comes around, Ken Flo, I, that might really give you the itch to just do the one more fight thing, you know?
0: <laughs> no. You
4: don't even, know, man. Don't even, dude, you know how sore I am right now. I didn't do anything yesterday.
2: Who's the worst welterweight on the UFC roster?
4: Worst welterweight to call him out right now? Is that no, what we're, not,
2: we're not going to – yeah, I'm saying you called that guy out on <laughs> next week's show on the 140th uh, episode. All right, well, we I, should, I should fight at
4: light heavyweight is what I should do, just make a five-weight
0: class yeah. on I'm that big. Yeah,
2: right. You yeah. can make 85 right now. You yeah. look
0: pretty lean. You're pretty lean. 86, yeah. 86, yeah.
2: <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here, kid. Big weekend coming up in Boston, Massachusetts. Um Are you in the studio? What are you doing this
4: weekend? I'm in the studio. I'll be watching from the studio desk, yes.
2: All right, Ken. Well, we will miss you up in the bean. For me, dude, I mean, this is like a professional dream, right? Calling a pay-per-view at the TD Garden, where I was a season ticket holder for the Celtics for so many years. So going to be excited to be in the Garden this weekend. Of course, we'll be back in a week's time uh, to recap that pay-per-view and look ahead, obviously, to uh, the next Fox Showcase, which is coming up in Charlotte shortly thereafter. Uh, With that, thank you to our guests Uh, James Kimball, Justin Hartling uh, for Ken Flo and the entire Anakin Florian podcast crew coming in on the holiday once again. I'm John Anik. Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you in one week's time. Until then, you'll later.
1: The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast.